Hey guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining us for what is now episode number 136. And we are going to jump straight into a Q&A today. And question number one is, how do you deal with hunger and fatigue during comp prep? Darn, what a good question to start off with. And man, when we get questions like this, I think unfortunately the reality is, is that it just comes with the territory of being in a prep, that you are going to feel fatigued and you are going to feel hungry. But ultimately, there's definitely ways to mitigate it. But I think first off, just acknowledging that, embracing it, it's kind and of just like accepting it. How do you avoid getting wet in the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, there's no way. You just you just got to accept that it's going to happen and you can't run from it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the picture. And Tierra and I as coaches, whenever someone comes to us, we always set the scene in terms of what a comp prep is like. Mm. And often uh, some competitors come to us expecting to start prep the next week. And we really encourage, and sure, there are some competitors that we've done that with, especially experienced competitors. But usually we really try and prioritize a pre-prep phase at least, or ideally like an improvement season phase, then a pre-prep phase, then the prep itself. And like that isn't only just to optimize the body composition, it's also to make people aware of what is required to actually undertake a prep successfully and uh, mentally prepare themselves as well. And Mm -hmm. often I kind of make prep sound a little bit scary and that ensures that people kind of take it really seriously. Yeah, because you have to identify, does this person have what it takes to get the job done? And Mm. that's why Jack and I, we really love to actually work with clients throughout an extended improvement season too, so that you can actually go through mini dieting periods prior to doing the huge diet itself, which would be a comp prep, which usually lasts somewhere in the realms of around 25 weeks, give Mm. or take. But if you're working with someone for an extended period of time, and as we've discussed in previous episodes, change requires change. If you want to change your body composition, usually that does come with a change in scale weight because you're trying to change your body mass. So you will be going through periods of building your body and laying down new muscular tissue. And as we know, that's going to come with a bit of body fat as well. But the beauty is, is that in an improvement season, you can actually trial doing these dieting phases for anywhere between maybe six to max 12 weeks long, where you can actually practice the skill of dieting. Mm, totally. And, and something that we would examine during the pre-prep phases, if you are heading into a comp prep already experiencing hunger and already experiencing a significant amount of fatigue as well, it's only going to get worse during prep. And I made the joke to Tierra before this question that like this prep is really one of the few topics in terms of nutrition where we can actually say you're going to get fatigued and you're going to get hungry. <laughs> like if we say if we if we say that about other things like it, we're skirting on on thin ice saying like every dieting phase is going <laughs> to you're going to get hungry and fatigued. Like that's just not the case. Ultimately in the nicest way possible, suck it up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we say that to everyone. Not, I don't want to be mean to the question asker. <laughs> no, no, we're not talking to you. We're even talking to ourselves. Just yeah. you got to do what you got to do. And you do have to accept that being hungry, being a little bit tired, it comes with the territory. But that's mm. because 
you're pushing your body to very uncomfortable boundaries. So it's going to fight back. Yeah. And let's actually provide some helpful input and yeah. say... Not just say <laughs> you're going to be exhausted and starving 24-7 for half the year. <laughs> yeah. So I think looking back on my prep and Tiara can look back on her prep. And for those who don't know, we recently finished prepping in May. Mm-hmm. And looking back, if there are a few things that I would tell myself for next time. And I think for some first-time competitors, this might be hard to understand. But point number one, I probably wouldn't go as hard out on the volume side of things mm-hmm. in terms of volume eating because it's a never-ending bowl like it you could eat as much volume as you wanted and it will you'll still be hungry so uh, if you try and force more and more down like more vegetables more egg whites more cognac then you're just going to keep conditioning yourself to more volume yeah. which doesn't do you any favors and the other thing i didn't do that i didn't do this um the most recent prep but another big one i see is choosing very highly palatable options like sweeteners and diet soft drinks I think in moderation, they're okay, but it's the same sort of thing. If you condition yourself to super sweet things when you're super hungry, Mm. you're never ever going to be satisfied. So those would be my main two tips for hunger. In terms of energy, prioritize your sleep as much as you can. Yeah, it's going to play a huge role. And I would try and, if you have the luxury of being able to sleep for as long as you can, do it because you'll one extend your eating window slightly and probably the hardest days of prep for me was when I woke up at 3 or 3 30 a.m and then I had to lot and then by the time I got to the gym at 8 30 a.m I'd already had a full day (laughs) and like it it was really hard so that's the worst thing in prep I I find that in most situations you set an alarm almost wishing you're going to wake up to the alarm. You're mm. like, oh, if I set this alarm for 5.30 a.m., for the love of God, please let me sleep until 5.30 a.m. But like you said, those final few weeks, we were starting our days at like 3 a.m., 3.30 in the morning. It was just, it was awful. And we were going to bed at like 8.15 at night. Yeah, yeah. So th- those would be my tips. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I'm I'm along the exact same lines as you in that just accept that hunger is going to be there inevitably. And that's the beauty of actually going through comp preps yourself and learning from these experiences because I've done the exact same thing before. I think in the past, I've almost been a little bit fearful of being hungry. And it's almost been just an automatic habit for me to try to make meals as voluminous as possible. But mm gosh, your hunger hormones are so flipped anyway. Like you said, you can fill yourself up to the brim. You can actually have a massive food baby, but still be like, I could still eat, right? You're, you just genuinely still feel hungry, but you get the worst of both worlds because you're hungry, but your waist is also like incredibly distended mm. as well. So I've made those mistakes in the past too of like, yeah, incorporating things like konjac noodles and stuff. That's probably the worst thing, not the worst thing that I did, but that's probably the greatest extent I went to is probably just lots of konjac noodles and also like really big salad. Cognac. Someone educated me on that recently. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, cognac noodles, those apparently calorie free noodles, but they're actually just full of fiber Mm. uh, and they kind of smell like squid. They're pretty funky. Anyway, consuming a lot of those and also consuming like really big salads. But like I've never personally gone down the route of like 
every single night having like a halo top or having mm. like a huge bowl full of diet jelly sort mm. of thing. I know that's quite common among competitors too, but I think that ultimately you're just stabbing yourself in the foot there because one, if you're delaying that for your very last meal of the day, like you're always going to be anticipating that meal and it's going to make you even more food focused than you need to be too. So personally, I, I just... I, I cut a lot of those things or I don't even consume them in general, but I kind of just, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm mm. not going to go down that route. To be honest, on the point of diet jelly, like I, that it might, it might be something that I put in next prep and but like the, the reason is being, why? the reason being is because next prep, I do want to lower my fiber. Like I'm going to try not to go over 75 grams mm. a day. And if I'm able to have more, less fibrous, like even having something like, brown rice or wholemeal pasta or potatoes instead of having like 50 grams of carbs through non-starchy vegetables mm-hmm. which i did previously then i could have the lower fiber carb source and then have some diet jelly just for a tiny bit of extra volume mm. um i'm not saying like 10 liters of it <laughs> but i think that will allow me to have a lower fiber approach and still because like imagine if you just ate like 50 grams of carbs through brown rice yeah like you were going to be I would definitely be quite ravenous. That's why that. I personally go down the air pop popcorn route. <laughs> mm. Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching the bodybuilding dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. But yeah, definitely next prep. I want to set myself some even more boundaries. Like, like I said, I don't consume like diet jellies or halo tops the only artificial sweetener i actually consume is through our protein powder or like little saccharin tablets in my coffee but i don't chew gum during prep and next prep like i really want to set myself some limits for like yeah 400 to 500 grams of vegetables max every single day and probably just get that from either a salad or a stir fry at night because this most recent comp prep i just i did make that mistake of being a little bit fearful of being hungry. So I would swap out sort of some of my carbohydrate portions. Like if I was gonna have an apple or an orange at lunch, I'd swap that out for a really big non-starchy salad sort of thing. And yeah, the macros were equivalent, but the food volume was completely different. And it just totally messed with my scale weight because I was eating different amounts of food volume most days. And like, I was just feeling really distended in my stomach and like, I don't, and I was still hungry. That's the thing. It didn't cure my hunger at all. It just made me feel uncomfortable. So I just don't want to let myself go into that position again in future. But that's the thing. You learn that through experience. So, yeah, I just want to, I want to take my own advice and just suck it up, embrace it, and uh, have a tiny little waste for as long as I possibly can next prep. But Jack, the second part of this question was how do you mitigate fatigue during a prep? kind of talked about you know how you can try to mitigate your hunger mm, so sleep would probably be my major recommendation as i said especially looking at my past prep would you add anything to that i would just say just don't jam pack your schedule with things that aren't super necessary like i there's never going to be a time in your life where a prep can go perfectly or a prep is optimal like very very few people on this planet are in the luxury of doing a comp prep in bali for 25 weeks sort of thing and renting a villa going to their own private little gym having a chef like 
life is always going to be going on in the background but i would try to forecast and at least look at a period of months during your life that aren't going to be as hectic as some others Mm. so if you can plan in advance perhaps try to make sure that you're not going to be going to too many weddings or you're not going to be having work functions that require you to travel Mm. or just like huge pressing projects coming up or perhaps if you're a student like it's pretty hard to try to avoid exam periods but all of those really big things that aren't necessarily physically taxing but more just mentally taxing Mm. like yeah especially let's say you're an accountant and you have a newborn like trying to do a prep around the end of financial year probably won't be a great time for you to Mm -hmm. do that and i completely agree and I, i think the other side of the coin as well is not just lifestyle but also training so if if you're doing a just unnecessary amount of volume then i would really focus on doing a correct amount of volume which is not quite so easy to just give you a number unfortunately Mm -hmm. but I do see a lot of people doing a fairly substantial amount whereas it might be more productive to lower that volume focus more on intensity and quality and therefore not because ultimately volume is going to contribute more to fatigue than intensity so I think it for a lot of people it'll be more productive to reduce your volume slightly Uh, prioritize intensity and execution and get more bang for your buck Mm -hmm. yeah but that's the thing you just really got to be able to get yourself into that sort of mindset that sort of zone to amp yourself up to Mm. lift some heavy ass weights but maybe for only two or three sets it's all relative isn't it (laughs) yeah but still you know people need to learn how to push themselves and continue to push themselves during a prep because if anything like if you're doing a prep correctly like you shouldn't be losing muscle mass you should be maintaining your muscle mass and a lot of people find that if they can dig deep and they can mentally push themselves they're able to retain on to a lot of their performance numbers sometimes even continue to increase their performance during those early stages of prep but it just comes down to how bad you're really willing to push yourself yeah 100 mm-hmm. percent. and i think we've given a very thorough answer to that question yeah so <laughs> let's move on to this next one which says why have you decided not to program conventional deadlifts Ooh, they are speaking to two rdl lovers aren't they <laughs> yeah suddenly and i think this question was directed at you but funnily enough it counts me in as well because yeah. i last time i did deadlifts was in 2018 and I, I only did that for like one or two months mm. and i've actually never gone through a period in my training career where i have programmed myself conventional deadlifts because I think it needs to come back to what's the main goal for this exercise. A deadlift is an exercise that is great at targeting your hamstrings and it's great at targeting your back. It's a great posterior chain movement. But I would argue that the RDL, because of the hip hinge pattern and because of the range of motion that you're able to get through an RDL, it's a much more effective exercise for actually targeting and growing your hamstrings and your glutes compared to a conventional deadlift. Plus, when you take into account the stimulus to fatigue ratio, it just doesn't beat you up nearly as much. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And there's no doubt that the uh, deadlift is a great exercise, especially if you see someone who can deadlift a significant amount, it's pretty much a guarantee that they're going to have a dense, thick back. Mm. And those kind of erectors that you can just like put your fist in and just like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And... 
However, if I thought that deadlifting would give me more results than the RDL, you would see me doing it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I don't deadlift is one, because I think with my biomechanics, it puts me at a slightly higher injury risk, especially having had lower back issues in the past. And I honestly think that the RDL is is just as good for, for a back development mm. standpoint. And the reason why a lot of people just don't get at the same results with RDLs is because they don't lift with the same intensity. Yeah. Like if you literally thought about your RDL the same way as you did a deadlift, like watch your, your watch your numbers skyrocket up. And but also you need to have the time and the patience to actually be able to execute the movement pattern too because it mm. is highly highly technical. So it's not going to be something like a bicep curl, you mm. know? It takes time to master, so you have to be willing to give yourself that time and also just be able to, you know, not do it maybe as correctly as you possibly can in those beginning stages and be able to take on some constructive feedback from other people who genuinely just want to help you out mm. so that you can continue to actually get the most out of that movement. Yeah, I definitely think myself that from what I see on Instagram and in the gym, <laughs> intensity is the biggest missing factor with RDLs. Like, I don't often, I see them perform poorly, but not actually as often as you might think. Yeah. Uh, I, but I do see a lot of people with the pink dumbbells just going mm. up and down and getting a great stretch, quote unquote. Yeah. And ultimately like your glutes and your hamstrings and your entire back like those are some of the biggest muscles in the body and yet you're you're lifting some pussy ass weight (laughs) (laughs) man tbd's just being so honest today aren't we (laughs) yeah yeah but rdls i think it goes the same for all of those other big power lifting movements so for power lifters you know you've got your squat you've got your bench and you've got your conventional deadlift but if your goal is to maxly build muscle mass, I think that we can now argue that, okay, there's probably better exercises in terms of a stimulus to fatigue ratio where you can probably better stimulate the musculature that you're trying to. So for example, in a squat, your quads, in a bench, your chest, in a deadlift, your hamstrings, your glutes, and your back with other movements that you're gonna get potentially, arguably even more bang for your buck out of, but they just aren't gonna leave you feeling as beat up. Yeah. 100%. Like I know if I tried to do deadlifts, it would take me a lot longer to recover. Mm -hmm. And like, even as it is, I only do two sets of RDLs once a week. And that kind of, like I did RDLs yesterday and I can, I can certainly feel them today in my, in a good way in terms of doms in my lower back. Yeah, dude, they're absolutely gnarly. And like, I've got this thing now. I'm like, if you're in a rush to grow your glutes or to grow your posterior chain, take your time with an RDL. And I think that's something that both you and I have really honed in on in these past few months in particular, is kind of just really slowing it down, not rushing through that eccentric portion of the movement at all, Mm. but like really freaking controlling the eccentric portion and that lowering phase where you're really getting a great stretch on your hamstrings and your glutes with some decent ass weight before you pull it back up not just rushing through it and geez louise like if you can get that sort of connection with that sort of weight like and you're eating enough protein and sleeping at night and you're in a surplus it's hard to say you're not going to grow from that Mm, hey guys just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our instagram and youtube channel so make sure to go over to those platforms and search the bodybuilding dietitians see you there
cool. So this next question says, what do you do when you can't physically progress any further with an exercise? For example, a face pull. Mm, so a face pull is an interesting example for this because that's more of like an isolation movement. But I'd say we would give different answers to this question depending on whether it would be like a compound or an isolation lift. Totally. And I think for isolation lifts in particular, you kind of have to expect a slower rate of progression because they're often single joint movements and you don't have as much as much muscular to recruit in order mm -hmm. to progress that lift and often as well single joint movements uh, they're not as the execution or the they're not as neurologically demanding compared to something like an rdl or a squat where if you optimize your movement pattern and execution better you're probably going to notice some improvements in strength as, as a result of that. Whereas something like a bicep curl, there's only so many ways you can do that poorly, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think people need to be realistic with their rate of progression in terms of all movements, but particularly isolations. Like, you know, how often do you actually increase your weight on a dumbbell lateral raise? Maybe mm. like <laughs> once or twice a year sort of thing. Imagine if you were increasing every session or every single week, like you'd be lifting the hundreds yeah. <laughs> each each delt. So I think for those sort of movements, yeah, it's really just about looking at them in terms of like great execution, great mind-muscle connection. You can certainly go to a close proximity to failure with those. But I think one of the reasons why some people might find their rate of progression with these exercises is lower than others, or like they're just matching performance week after week after week is, a lot of these exercises, they are not so much put on the back burner, but they are put at the very end of a session. Mm. So let's say that you do six exercises in a session and your rear delt face pulls are maybe sixth on the list. And those other five, you're crushing it, right? And you're getting PBs and all of your other movements, but then you finally get to your rear delt face pulls and you're pretty darn fatigued. But could you argue that even matching performance could even be better than the week before if you were in a more fatigued state. But, Technically, yeah. But yeah, what, what I'm trying to get at here is that if something is a high priority to you, like if, if a rear delt face pull is a top priority to you, try to actually look at where it is listed on your exercise program. So maybe instead of having it sixth, if you really want to prioritize your rear delts and you find that, you know, when I train my rear delts, it doesn't really compromise performance in my other movements, why not put it first? Like that's actually what I do with my training is that delts and my glute meads are actually two top priorities for me right now to grow. So at the beginning of each session, I actually start my workout with three sets of either rear delts or lateral delt movements and some hip abductions. And I just superset those. I do three sets of each and I'm finding that that doesn't compromise my performance in my other movements. If anything, it actually helps me feel a little bit more warmed up, but I get really good quality work in both of those movements as well. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Plus, as a result, those muscle groups are growing because they're not last on the list and I'm not performing them when I'm more in a fatigued state. Mm, that's, that's how I look at it as well, especially with, uh having AJ as my coach these last few months. Like we definitely start off with things that I need to prioritize and that are, you might typically program at the end of a workout, but mm. putting them first allows you to prioritize that progression. Something that I do for myself and as a coach as well is I kind of look at all the elements of progression. So is nutrition on point? 
if you're in an energy surplus is your well obviously your weight would be going up but are you in an energy surplus how are you fueling before the workout how is your sleep uh, how are you performing the movement how is your execution how is your intensity if all of those boxes are ticked as best you can and you're not progressing let's say you haven't progressed for i'll probably say like three or four weeks uh, then that would be a sign to me that we would either make a variation of that or we would just switch the exercise like mm. there's nothing wrong with changing the exercise if you feel like you've maximized every other variable yeah sometimes things just get stale mm. absolutely and also taking into account like what do you deem as progression are you meaning like you can't pump out any extra reps you can't move up in weight like what does that form of progression mm. mean to you because you can progress in a hell of a lot of different mm. ways yeah, a lot of the time to my clients, I say even one rep per week, that's a progression and that's a win. Mm. And a lot of people don't realize that. And because a lot of people don't track their reps, so they don't actually remember, like they only remember the weight, they don't remember the total mm. reps. And as a result, like they think that only moving up in weight is a progression yeah. when that's not the case. But also being realistic with rate of progress too, especially for people who are getting into the gym and they're quote unquote newbies. And I'm actually going to give my awesome client Layla a bit of a shout out here. She's a bikini girl that I'm coaching over in the UK, but she only just got into the gym this year and she has a phenomenal work ethic and just great genetic potential but she's brand new to the gym and she basically got on a structured resistance training program from the get-go and she was experiencing those newbie gains like no other, probably the wildest I've ever seen. Just in terms of progression, like she'd make comments every week on like, I had to like triple check the weight because I got an extra 15 reps across all my three sets compared to last week sort of thing. So she was just making leaps and bounds every single week because she was pushing herself, finding new limits. but because that was like her initial benchmark. She's like, all right, got to beat last week by 15 reps <laughs> sort of thing, or, you know, increase the weight up by 10 kilograms or something like that. Cause she's just getting so freaking strong. Obviously that's naturally tapered down over the months. So now she, now, because she's used to that rate of progression, she's like, you know, I only pumped out an extra one or two reps right on my shoulder press. And I'm like, that's still freaking progress, man. Like most, most like novice trainees might get an extra rep on shoulder press once every few weeks, maybe once every one or two months sort of thing. Like a lot of these movements really, really do slow down. So mm. just ha having that clear communication to and setting people up to uh, understand that, you know, unfortunately we can't always be making newbie gains forever. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I have some younger clients who are kind of, um, hitting the ball out of the park at the mm. moment. And just because they both, like I have two especially that come to mind and both came to me, both are uh, males. They came to me uh, at quite a low level of body fat, like similar to, to my journey in starting mm. lifting. And we've just been able to be very, quite aggressive with weight gain, like around even half a kilo per week. And mm. I've done that for like six plus months with both of them and like literally their body fat hasn't changed too much and their their lifts in the gym are skyrocketing and it's just really satisfying to be able to help some younger people where I struggled myself in my earlier years of lifting. Yeah, it, there's nothing quite like being able to work with someone from the very beginning of their journey and they don't have to go through spinning their wheels mm. like you and I did. but. At the same time, I'm at peace with that because I know that yeah. I wouldn't be who I was today. You, neither you or I would be because mm -hmm. 
wouldn't be able to empathize and resonate with a lot of people because that's the reality is that a lot of people do go through a period of a few years spinning their wheels but hell you learn from it and then you can help other people out yep (laughs) but this last question of the day jack this one says if you could create a protein powder what flavor would it be wow nice question so it's tough because I've never been much of a protein powder connoisseur and even though we have the stuff every single day (laughs) yeah and I've never really been one for buying different because we've been affiliates of VPA Australia for many years Mm. like I haven't really ventured into different protein powder Mm. flavors some of their flavors are quite good like I've I've always been that person who my vanilla is always my favorite oh it just goes with everything yeah I mean, some people would say you're a bit vanilla for liking vanilla, but do you know what that means? Yes, I do. <laughs> but uh, no, all their flavors are really good. They're, they're nice and sweet, and it's high-quality protein. But if I could create a flavor, I would just love a peanut butter flavor, like a really good quality, actual peanut butter-flavored protein. And I know that Macromike obviously makes their peanut buttered flavor protein, and that tastes really good and everything, but I mean, like, a WPI or WPC peanut butter flavor. Mm. I think that would be so damn good. Yeah, they need to... Because, like, with the powdered peanut butters, they're okay. But they don't... Like, they're great in prep, but they don't really nail that actual, like, fatty taste mm. from the, the real deal. It's kind of like diet peanut butter, which kind of comes across, <laughs> unsurprisingly. So that would be tough to nail. For me, if it's not vanilla, I've always been a big fan of... Uh, cookie dough mm. and like if they could somehow make some sort of cookie dough flavored I don't know if like it would need cookie dough pieces in it but the other one that I really like is and we're not exactly reinventing the wheel here but it's like just a choc chip mm. that's also one of my favorites yeah that would be darn good I know that VPA has a mint chocolate chip mm. but the way that I find that actually really helps to bring out the mint is if I add my own peppermint essence, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is kind of funny. But what about like, when you think of like the cheesecake shop or something, like I, what if you could bring out like a cheesecake flavored protein? You yeah, know? there are plenty like, out there, but mm, I've just- like, like a carrot cake, a carrot cheesecake flavored mm. protein or a there's banana actually, bread. There's actually this um, carrot cake protein flavor that Josh Bridgman raves about. He mm-hmm. says it's always sold out. So that would be nice if anyone wants to send us some samples yeah i think what food scientists really need to get on to is like you spoke about something that tastes like fatty peanut butter but Mm. it doesn't have the fat and as we know that has a lot to actually do with the palate and our tongue and how our brain actually registers different macronutrients and how Mm. they how they like actually taste in our mouth yeah but it's kind of like mushrooms tasting meaty like Mm. if you cook them a certain way yeah and i'm sure there's a way to do it we just Mm. haven't or maybe we have found out but it's too expensive for people to to do mm, yeah but a peanut butter would be like top number one or maybe like Reese's Pieces peanut butter cup protein I think we're all just labeling things that are already existing we just haven't yeah, tried yeah the flavor <laughs> but we just we just want the protein man <laughs> yeah alright well finishing on this episode one thing no that- I meant that there are, I'm sure there's a there's been a peanut butter I mean a protein out there that's been Reese's Pieces yeah I bet yeah we just haven't tried it all right well guys if you need our PO box send it our way (laughs) Mm. but Jack one thing that you learned this week hit me up I'll hit you up first 
Okay. Uh, something that I learned this week. Um, okay. On I put out a question poll on Instagram and I got asked the question, what's your star sign? Mm. And this actually really made me think because I've like, I've, I'm 24 years old now and I've gone through my whole life and people talk about star signs, but I've ever not actually bothered to look mine up, mm. <laughs> but I was, <laughs> I was, I couldn't even name one star sign. Yeah. The like sun. Virgil, I think. <laughs> Virgil? Is it Virgo? What? That's yeah. It goes to show how little I know. That's the only one. <laughs> Jack's a bit of a virgin when it comes to star signs. Mm, indeed. <laughs> or I just don't really care about that stuff. <laughs> I like the sun. You know, it's nice and bright, pretty warm. But yeah, but someone asked me, what's your star sign? I'm like, man, I don't actually know. I'd have to Google it. But before I could get to Google, it was really nice. A lot of people messaged me on Instagram and they're like, oh, you don't know what your star sign is. And it turns out I'm something called a Gemini. Mm. Whatever that Whenever, means. I just think of that song by What's So Not. Do you, you know Gemini? Can you sing it? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that song that they say Gemini, but yeah. I thought they were saying something else. It sounds like they're saying you and I. Oh, oh darn. I want to sing it. Yeah, I'll, I'll sing it another time. Mm, we don't want to get copyrighted because you're so good at singing that it will <laughs> pick up on copyright. <laughs> that is true. I was lead singer of the choir, my friend. Uh, lead singer of a play too. I actually played The Little Mermaid when I was wow. 14. Yep. <laughs> cool. So something that I learned this week is make sure that you back up your phone. Mm-hmm. I had I got the new iPhone 13 after having my other one for four years. And I've been using Tierra's new phone for like probably two years because my camera is just so bad on my current phone or my previous current phone now. But... Yeah, I, I kept saying to Tierra because I bought this new Mac just so I could back up my phone. I just hadn't done it because I'm an idiot. And I was, I was trying to sync the phones between each other and then my older phone just completely shat itself. <laughs> and I was trying to recover everything for like six hours. It kept just trying to reboot itself. It was doing the circle and the apple of death. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, after a very stressful six hours, like I got it working finally and fortunately I didn't lose anything because literally all my business stuff all my calendar stuff all my contacts all my photos from the past two comp preps like would have been not good so I'm glad I have all that back and this is your reminder to back up your phone is it fully backed up now (laughs) yes it is. okay excellent wonderful well very glad to hear that but Jack I forgot to ask you what is your star sign I don't know okay well we need to find out We'll announce that next week, and that'll be something that I learned. Well, I want someone to tell us. All right, Jack, I'm born in June. Jack's born in October. So mm-hmm. it turns out I'm I'm a Gemini. And what is Jack? I'll be a, I'll just be a Gemini as well. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. Well, well, actually, I don't know how it works. I didn't know that like there were signs in the stars. I thought stars... I'll be the prawn. I think there's like a prawn. There's a prawn <laughs> or a lobster or something. Oh, we're going. Does that down mean the you're sea- like down the seafood route? <laughs> mm. Maybe you're in tune with like sea creatures more, maybe? I don't know. The stars are nice to look at. They're just like big what, balls what, of what's gas. What's a Gemini? Is that like a... a... I don't know what it is. Mm. But I'm apparently I'm one. Maybe you can talk to flowers or something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I can talk to prawns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag bodybuilding dietitians if you're feeling friendly please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and potentially write a review and we'll catch you next week